Good evening, brothers and sisters. If we could turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. While we turn there, I'd like to say what a privilege it is to be gathered around God's Word. And, and it is a privilege to be up here. I ask for the Lord's guidance as I pray that He would have me to say what He wants, not what I want. More of Christ, less of David. That would be good. I'm going to commence reading in verse 1. My little children, write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation of our sins, and not of ours only, but of the sins of the whole world. And hereby do we, not, do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keep, whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but that the old commandment which ye have from the beginning, the old commandment, is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith, he is in the light, and hateth his brother, brother, brother is in darkness until now, even until now. But that he that loveth his brother, brother and abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. He that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven uh, you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, nor the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. He that pass, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, last time, um, this is the last times, uh, and ye have heard that the Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last, that this is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, uh, they, would ha they would no doubt continue with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And we have an unction from the Holy One. And ye know all things. I have written unto you because you know not the truth, but because ye know it, and, and, uh, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denieth 
that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. He is an antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised unto us, even eternal life. These things I write unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing, anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye, and ye need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is true, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteous is born of him. Chapter 5, please. Chapter 5 and verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness, of, uh, had the witness himself. He that believeth not God had made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God has given us eternal life and this is the life in his son he that hath the son hath life he hath, that hath not the son of God hath not life these things I write unto you that you may believe on the son of God these things I write to you that believe on the son, name of the son of God that you may know you have eternal life and that ye may be, believe on the Son, the name of the Son of God. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of His Word. Let's look to Him in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful that we could be here this evening to open Thy Word, Lord. We just ask that You would that you would encourage us, Father, to read it, to understand it, that you would, through your Spirit, help us to, to understand it and meditate upon it every day, Lord. We ask that you would speak through me, Lord, that no thoughts would ever come from me, Father, but through your Spirit. We ask these things in your Son's most precious name. Amen. In the book of First John, there's a couple of main themes. One that we're going to focus on, I know the passage is lengthy and I apologize. Has to do with eternal life. You know, as a kid, I used to think of eternal life as a really, 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 really long time. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And uh, you might be asking, David, why did you read all of chapter 2 when you could have just read chapter 5 and, and then we could have you know, read that small portion of eternal life and then you had a short little message and then we could be home early enough to uh, relax? Well, because chapter 2 has a lot to do with chapter 5. And we'll get to that. Eternal life. Eternal life is a life. It's not something of, of, 
you know, in my childhood, again, I used to, used to think, all right, when, when I die, and, 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 you know, hopefully I, I, I did the right things, I believed in, in Jesus Christ, and then I could go and enjoy my eternal life. Well, what the Bible teaches is, is, is contrary to that. It's not that eternal life is something that we wait for when we die. Eternal life is something that is here and now. Eternal life is a life. Uh, John, the, the Gospel of John, 17 verse 3, it says, And this is eternal life, that they might know you, thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now this is, this is a good definition of eternal life. Eternal life is not something that we have to wait for. It's not something we have to wait till we die. That's kind of depressing. If we have to wait till we die to, to get eternal life. Eternal life is to know the true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The New Testament speaks of receiving everlasting life. It's not something that we are born with. It's not something we are waiting for. It's something that we are physically alive right now that we receive from God the Father. And eternal life, as I, I repeated already, is it, it's, it's a life. It's not something we wait for. It, it's a life as such as is an infant. If, if you see an infant child and you say, yes, there's my baby, there's my infant child, see alive. Well, of course, he's alive. Look at him. Well, what evidence is there of that life? Well, then, then you, you know, the parent nervously will, will get close. You see, he's breathing. He has life. He's breathing. Yes, that's an evidence of life. And, and say he's not comfortable enough. He shakes him, stirs him up, and he, he puts a loud scream. There's, there's another evidence. He, he's making noise. He's alive. There's an evidence of that life. Brothers and sisters, the point I'm making, very simple point. And mothers, don't worry. I won't wake up your infant son or child. That's, that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that everlasting life is a life. It has evidence. Just as an infant child has the basic, basic elementary signs of life, so does a Christian believer, so does anybody that claims to have everlasting life. If they truly have it, there's evidence of that everlasting life. And again, it's not something we wait for. It's not something we have to, to look forward to. It's something that we enjoy here and now. The evidence, going back to, to that, that child, the evidence that his life is there, he, he has a life, and he has life that he shares with his mom and his dad. His life was interconnected with his mom and his dad, his parents. He has that life. And from that life comes out the evidence, the crying, the feeding, the, the, the noises he makes, the diapers he, he creates. And there's that evidence of life. There's a there's a, a, a popular idea that you know in order to have everlasting life you have to be good, you have to work at it, you have to do good things, and then, heaven forbid, when you get to the pearly gates, you stand in front of a God and you say, "These are the things I did, God. I deserve eternal life." And that is so contrary to what the Bible teaches. That is the complete opposite of what the Bible teaches. Eternal life is something that we need to receive here on earth.
And in order to receive eternal life, the basic concept is we have to become a child of God. In order to have that eternal life, it's not something that we are born with. It's, it's not something I inherited from my parents. My parents have eternal life. God bless them. He gave, blessed me with some wonderful parents. And they've done great things for us. But my parents have nothing to do with me receiving eternal life. There's a popular belief that God is love. Amen to that. God is love. But this popular belief that's out there in the world is God is love. He loves everybody. He doesn't want anybody to die. He's going to let everybody into heaven because He loves them. We are all the children of God. We're, we're made in His image. Genesis tells us that. God created us in His image. Does that make us children of God? Does that mean we're born children of God? These are solemn questions that you know, we have to be ready to answer. There's a big difference. There's an a eternal difference between being a creation of God and being a son of God. C.S. Lewis, the English scholar, gave a, a, a brilliant example to illustrate this. So I'm, I'm stealing it from him, but I, I could have not said that and just claimed it for my own. But I'll go ahead and give him credit. He says, suppose there's, there's a master carpenter a cabinet maker. It's somebody that, that's just skilled, has all the, 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 the tools, and, and not just the physical tools, he has the gifted ability from God that he creates great stuff that, that all the designers are jealous. They want to sign him to, to, to make furniture for him. And this carpenter designed a beautiful chair. Imagine this chair is, is just glorious. It has wood carving, soft cushions, leather with the pins or, or whatever style. If you like more of the modern, it's the straight uh, angled uh, cuts and, and it's varnish, it's shiny. And, and he just, you could see his, his, his workmanship in it. You could see his style. You could see his influence on this creation. Indeed, it's a beautiful creation that this carpenter made. Now behold, this, this carpenter meets a, a beautiful young girl and, and one thing leads to another. He marries her and, and they have a child. And this infant child, as it sits, this child, you could say, you have to be careful what you say about infant kids in front of their parents. I, I was there. I was one of those parents. And I look back at pictures right now of my son Isaac. I, I think he's the most beautiful boy in the world. I mean, that, that, it's, it's a biased opinion, obviously. And every parent would say that. I'm so blessed to have him. And, and, but I look back on pictures of him now, of, of when he was first born. And I, I, mean, I, could, I could tell you that the Lord has shaped him into a beautiful boy. But when he was born, I would look at him and I'd be like, ah, he, he's okay looking. Because, you know, you're a new parent and you kind of accept that. And the things that he, he would do, he would make weird noises. He was so helpless. And, and the only things that would come out of him are indescribable from both ends. And, 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 and you could say, say, say this carpenter has created this wonderful, wonderful chair. But then he has this wonderful, wonderful infant that really, if you think about it, what's so wonderful about it? It's, there's an infinite difference. There's an eternal difference between his child and the chair. You could look at the chair. The chair is more useful. It's more appealing. You could do more stuff with it. It doesn't complain. You don't have to spend hours, countless hours on it for it just to be okay and laying down. 
But the difference between the chair and the child is that the chair is a creation of the carpenter. The child, the carpenter begot the child. The carpenter created the chair. And that is the difference between somebody that's born into this world being a creation of God. Yes, God made us wonderfully. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. The, the young kids quote in the morning. Beautiful verse. God created us in His image. But oh, brothers and sisters, the difference between a child of God and a creation of God is eternal. They both have the style of the carpenter. But one of them has the life of the carpenter. And there is the key of having eternal life. Eternal life is not a time spent. It's not something we look forward to. It's not a period of time where you could just think of what are we going to do for all eternity. Eternal life is a fellowship that we have with the God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ important question to ask what is eternal life how do we get it what does it mean to have eternal life how do we know we have eternal life important important questions basic basic stuff i'm i'm bringing out here basic basic fundamentals of every believer well how do we get that life how do we share that life with god the father well for that i'm going to turn to the Gospel of John. This is John at his youth writing this, or much younger years, or about his much younger years. I'm reading from John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I'm reading around verse 10. And that was the true light which was which giveth which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received them, to them he gave the right, the power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name. Here we see the first important key to knowing eternal life, to having eternal life. It's not something you, you earn. It's something that you receive. How do we receive that life? How do we receive? How do we become sons of the carpenter instead of being a chair of the carpenter? How do we become a son of the living God instead of just being a creation of God? For we were all born with a, a common problem. We were all sinners. I didn't read it. In, in 1 John chapter 5, it, it says, it says of, of the living God that, that, that Christ was manifested. He was, he was the eternal life. He was with the Father. And it goes, it goes to, to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. It, it says, In Him is no darkness at all. How could a, a wicked and perverse generation, a, a corrupt people, have fellowship with God who is light? And in Him there's no darkness at all. That's the first verse my son Isaac learned. Dios es luz. He just learned a short version of it. But God is light. In Him, there's no darkness at all. 
This is how we could have fellowship with the Father. If we become a son of God. And it, like I just read in, in, first, in, in, in John chapter 1, to them that believed him, to them he gave power, the right to become the son of God. It's something that, that has to happen in this life. It's not something that, that we work to. It's not something that we, okay, when I die, hopefully, hopefully he'll, he'll call me his son. No, it doesn't work like that. It's something that we have to be born. We have to be born again. Let me organize my notes really quick. This concept of being born again is, is first introduced to us in John chapter 3. And it wouldn't hurt to look at some of those key verses. I'm reading from John chapter 3. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and saith unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou dost except God be with him. And Jesus answered unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the man be born again. Here's that concept again of being born. Being born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here was a man that was respected, a ruler of the Jews. I can't imagine what high position he must have had that he was embarrassed to go to a young 30-year-old Jewish person to, to seek wisdom from him. He must have been really high in authority to try to hide this. And, and, and he, he goes complimenting Christ. And, and, and here's this high person in society complimenting Christ. You give, throwing him a bone. Here, here. You, you, I, I think you're great. I think you're great. But now let me ask you. Let me ask you a couple of things. And, and Christ doesn't even acknowledge his compliment. He, the first thing he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It was not a matter of, of, of Christ saying, Oh, wow, that's, that's great that you think of that of me. No, no, no. Christ went straight to the point. Straight to the, to, to the, the point at hand. Nicodemus said, How can these things be? How can a man be born? Can he go back into his mother's womb? He wasn't understanding. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the king, enter the, into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say to thee, ye must be born again. And, and, and Nicodemus w would, would go into even be more confused. H how can this be? I mean, he, he was a rabbi. He understood what, what the Old Testament laws was. He understood what it is to try to be a righteous man. He uh, probably understood the part of the water which, which spoke of cleansing, of, of trying to do right things. He didn't understand this nonsense about being born of the Spirit. What is that? And, and, and Christ goes on to, to, to talk to him more. He brings out Old Testament's example of, of Moses in the wilderness. And then he goes to that lovely verse that's most, the most new, quoted New Testament verse. I'm reading at verse 15. He who, uh, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Here's the key again. To have eternal life. What do we need to have? We need to believe on him. Why? Because we need to be born of him in a sense. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but will have eternal life. Is that what the Bible says? But will have eternal life? But 
shall have, shall have, will have it right now, in the present, will have everlasting life. This is the concept that, that he was trying to, to, to tell him. And this is the concept that John goes back to. You know, I, I, I recall I, I went to a, a friend's, not a friend's funeral, a friend's father's funeral. A couple of years ago, his mother passed away. Many of you know, I'm not going to say any names. I don't want to bring things up. But this, the, the ceremony was, was held at, at, I think it was Calvary Chapel. And, um, you know, the, the speaker went out there. Granted, he's not from the Sunbeams. I'm not judging him, questioning his salvation or anything. He preached the gospel. He preached the gospel accurately. But then he went to give an illustration and, and, and he was telling everybody, well, we need to make sure that we're going to heaven. What I want everybody to do, if you're not saved right now, to, to say a prayer, to, to accept Christ as your Savior. In a sense, you're making a reservation. You're getting a ticket to heaven. This is what he was saying. You're getting a ticket to heaven that when you walk out of here, you could be sure. You could put it in your pocket and you could go. And he left it there. And I was sorely disappointed at that. Because, brothers and sisters, as I've been saying to you all along, everlasting life is not something that we plan for. It's not something that, that we write a ticket and I have my reservation to heaven. Here it is. I have my reservation to everlasting life. That's not what it says. What does First Colossians, I mean, Colossians chapter 3 says? If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above. If you're risen with Christ, what are you going to do? You're going to seek those things which are above. You're not going to go living a life that's just selfishly living for you. If you have the evidence of eternal life, you're going to change. You're going to seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For what? You're dead. What kind of life do you have on this world besides with Christ? What kind of life do you have? There is no life far from Christ. There is no life that you could enjoy for the believer to, to, to say, I have my, my, my eternal ticket here. Now I'm going to put it away in a safe. I'm going to put it in a lockbox in the bank where it's super secure. And I'm going to go living about my life. That is completely the opposite of what the Bible tells us. It tells us, for you are dead. And your life is what? In, your life is in Christ. It's not in, in, in this nonchalant every day that we live. It's not in the employment, secular employment. It's not in money. It's not on something that, that we can find in this world. Your life is hidden with Christ. It's not, it's not something that we plan for. It's not something we wait for. It's something that's here and now. It's fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. This, this concept of eternal life, again, as a child I used to think of, man, what would it take in eternity to do maybe to count the grains of the ocean of the whole earth and and it's it's a concept that sadly it, it that's what people think of eternal life that don't know the lord and this eternal life that we need to be enjoying here and now 
like I said, it's a fellowship that we have with God the Father. It's, it's a, a, a real experience that the believer grows. There's evidence in that life. Just as that infant shows evidence of life, there's evidence. You can't hide it. A believer, believe it or not, he cannot hide those evidence of having eternal life. There's a couple of examples, I mean, of, of even physical examples. You, th- you think of, of Moses before he was born, and Jacobet was, was just nervous and anxious of what am I going to do? I'm going to decide to keep this child. I'm going to break the, the Egyptian law. I'm going to hide him. The Lord is going to protect him. And I'm going to hide this boy. What was the problem there? He was alive. Moses was alive. And they got to a point where she couldn't hide him. She couldn't hide his life. And it might seem such a simple example, but for a believer to sit there and claim you have an eternal life and to, to live a life that's con- completely contrary to what the Bible says, to, to go on living life to please himself and in sin, you got a question, does that person have that life? You have that evidence of life. And Jacobet came to the point and realized that she couldn't hide this life. She couldn't. And by the grace of the Lord, she was led to do what she did. But that's, that's a complete different story. Now, how do we get eternal life? To them that believed on Him. To them He gave power to become the right to become children of God. That's how we attain that eternal life. Now that we, that we went through how to attain that eternal life, which is very important, Let's go back to that portion on 1 John chapter 5. <clears throat> this is the record that, hath, that God hath given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. You'll never find a verse of having eternal life except through Christ. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as, as I'm making my reservation and that's it. I'm done. Henry Sardini always used to say, I'm shaving with... I forgot what he used to say. My something razor, like I'm just, you know, preparing myself, and then that's it. You know, I, I, I claim Christ, and then that's it. I have eternal life, and there's evidence. It changes your life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Simple words. Simple words. If you have the Son, you have that life. If you don't have that Son, you don't have that life. Simple concept. These things I have written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That you may know you have eternal life. It's something that we know. Something that you grasp. It's something that we know here and now. And John writes these things to comfort. Now, I'm not, he doesn't write these things to, for people to doubt their salvation. He does it the opposite. He writes these things to comfort, to reassure the believers, that they know they have eternal life. If you're claiming Christ, you know you have eternal life. And, and by what means, we're, we're, we're going to look at them. In studying this, I was listening to a brother that, that very eloquently puts evidences of eternal life. Well, you could say, what's the first evidence? A simple evidence, we just read it. God says so. If you have the Son, you have life. That should be good enough. But God is, is, is a God that understands us, understands our hearts, how we're doubters. I, th- I think of that portion in, in, in John chapter 4, 
the, the nobleman's son when he was sick. Christ, save my son. He's sick. He's about to die. Save him, Rabbi. Save him. What did, God tell, what did Christ tell him? Told him he is healed. Now, you know, the, the nobleman went like this. He, he, he grabs his, his Blackberry. I have a droid. He dial, he's like, how's my son? He's okay. Yes, he's good. Okay, thank you, God. Did, did he do that? No, he, he traveled a long distance. He believed. The Bible says he believed God at his word. It's just as God is telling you, you have eternal life. You have the son life. God, I mean, you have the son, you have eternal life. So this nobleman believed God. And what happened when he got there? His son was well. Praise the Lord. God doesn't lie. He, what he promises is true. He promises eternal life. It's as sure. It's, it's the surest thing you could have. But what did the nobleman say? At what hour did, did he get better? It says, at such and such hour, the fever left him. Why did God do that? Why didn't He heal him a couple hours later? Why didn't He heal him while He, while he got there? No. God, God healed him at this specific time. When the, the nobleman believed him, he got there and there was the evidence. There was absolute evidence of what God told him. So taking God at His word, you could say it's an evidence. But as we read in chapter 2, there's a threefold test of having eternal life. The first one, you can see in, in, in chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. That is the test of righteousness, of righteous living. If a Christian claims to have eternal life, if he claims to know the Lord, if he claims to be a son of God, he will have a righteous life. Test number one. Test number two, the love test. Verses 17, th- uh, 7 through 17. If we say that we are in Him, I'm going to read, uh, if, if he, that say, ha, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness unto now, but he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. Test number two is a love test. We love the brethren. You have a love for the, the people of God. If you claim to have eternal life, that's another check you need to have. You, do you love the people of God? It's a miracle to love the people of God sometimes, to how difficult they could be. But we love the brethren. And then test number three, verses 18 through 28. You have, believe on the correct doctrine. You're doctrinally correct. And it goes on to speak about Antichrist and about false doctrines. But it, it, then it goes in, in verse... He, who is a liar? And this is verse 22. But he that denieth that Jesus is Christ. He that is an antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And, and, and it's something that describes the majority of religion. Oh, we, we believe in Jesus Christ too. We, we, we believe He was a great man. He did great works. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that. Do you believe He, Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe He's the Son of God? Well... Well, they can't have eternal life according to John's test. They need to believe on what the Word of God says, to, be doctrinal, to, to believe the correct doctrine. 
So here's the threefold test, and with the short time that we have remaining, we'll look at this threefold test of knowing that we have eternal life. In verse 3, Hereby we know that we know Him. How do you know that you know? Well, this is how you know that you know. John is, is, is you know, trying to say, how do you know that you know? Well, this is how you know that you know. If we keep His commandments, he that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But, whoso, but whosoever keepeth His word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, Hereby we know that we are in Him. Here's a reconfirmation. A believer walks a righteous life. A believer takes the Word of God and applies it to his everyday life. He, takes it for, he lets it rule his life. People accuse the Christians, Ah, oh, you just keep listening to that book, those words. That's written such a long time ago. Things change. If the apostles live now, they'll, they'll tell us something different, something for the homosexuals. You know, God is, is love. We're going to accept them. We're going we're gonna to accept this. This is okay now. No. We believe what God tells us. We keep His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome, John goes on to tell us. And, and yes, yes, we have the flesh. Paul goes on to say, the things that I would do, I do not. The things that I would not do, those I do. Who will deliver me from this body, this flesh, this body of sin. But the difference is that the believer lives the righteous life. And as we read in the start of chapter 1, we have an advocate in the Father, Jesus Christ. And if we confess our sins, He is righteous to forgive our sins. We have that fellowship with the Father and we live a righteous life. That's test number one. Of a believer. And uh, going down to, to test number two, and beginning in verse 9, He that saith that he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. But Jesus Christ said, He that hateth his brother is guilty of murder. Murder. You can't claim to have eternal life and not love. I mean, we look at the example that, that, that Jesus Christ, you can't think of Jesus Christ and not think of the word love. God demonstrates His love towards us and while we were great people, Christ died for us. No. The contrary. While we were yet sinners, we were at enmity with God. The previous verse would say, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. For my son Isaac, I would lay down my life right now. But could you imagine laying your life down for an enemy? Laying your life down for a friend, you, 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 if it's a great friend, you would consider it, but it's a hard decision. But Jesus Christ demonstrated His love towards us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an example of love. And I'm not talking about an emotional love that we need to have towards our brother. Oh, I'm all lovey-dovey. It's such a happy, happy feeling. No, brother, that's not what love is. Did Christ come down? Did He go to Calvary? Oh, this is just lovely. I love being here. I just can't wait to... No, no, he, he rejected his emotional self of being holy and spiritual to come and be taken in the hands of sinners. He left heaven on high to, to demonstrate his love. I heard it quoted that love is a deliberate determination to do good to those loved. It's not an emotion. It's not something that we feel, this love that we need to have for the brother. It's, it's, it's a, a genuine love that we need to have for the people of God. You can say somebody like Lindsay Matthews, I can't wait till he leaves tonight, go back to Lando Lakes. Jeez. But by the grace of God, I love him. 
He has Christ in him. And, and we need to have that love for one another. And, and we need to have Christ. I mean, it's a miracle that we love the brethren. It's one of the evidences of having eternal life. This, um, that's the second evidence. And then the third evidence is to be doctrinally correct. You can't deny Jesus Christ. You can't deny Jesus Christ. You can't deny He is the Son of God. You can't deny He's God and have eternal life. Little children, just, just to make you one, one quick point in verse 18 um, on the love issue. John goes on to tell us what we need to love, where our love needs to be. But then he goes on to tell us where it shouldn't be. Me and my wife pray every day for my brother-in-law. You know, and I don't know his heart. In my opinion, I, I don't believe he's saved. Please pray for him. And, and I see in that boy, you know, he knows the gospel. He knows what it's, it's like. But all you see is the love he has for the world. And it just takes him. And it's, it's something that we need to be the opposite of. What we need to love. To love the world is easy. It's there, but it's empty. It doesn't have anything. There's nothing new under the sun. Solomon goes on to tell us. But we need to have the love for the people of God. For God. We need to have love for the brethren. God, John goes on to tell us what to love and what not to love. And then to wrap it up, I'm reading in verse chapter, I mean in chapter, it's the same verse. I read one of the verses. I'm sorry. Whoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath not had the Father also. Let therefore abide in you that ye have heard from the beginning. This is the message that John goes on to say. This is I'm not writing a new commandment. This is what I'm writing that that he wrote back in the Gospel of John. This is what Christ was teaching. To deny Jesus Christ, you could say it's probably the most wicked, the most serious of these three tests to fail. To deny Jesus Christ after what God gave up. You could say, oh, God will love me when I get to eternity. He's going to give me five galaxies. He'll give you ten. Who knows? But what, the, the, the greatest act of love that God gave was His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest act of love that God the Father will ever do for you, He's done already. It's in Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. And to deny that, to deny God of, of, of Jesus Christ, to, to, to say Jesus Christ is just a man. He's just a prophet. He's just a person that lived. It's wickedly. And the consequences of that are eternal. So, I, I leave you with those three things. Know you have eternal life. How do we know we, are, we have eternal life? We have to have that fellowship with the Father. How do we have that fellowship with the Father? We have to become a son of God. How do we know then we have eternal life? That we're possessing that eternal life. We have love for the brethren. We Keep His commandments. And we're doctrinally, we stand in the correct doctrine. Let's just sing, and we're out of time. Let's sing the first verse of hymn number 393. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Born of the Spirit, washed in His blood. Hymn number 394, I'm sorry if I say 393.